Hello, ladies. Thank you for joining today. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. Yes. yes. Excited well, to be here, but I'm very, very sick. So I apologize for my incredibly hoarse voice. But this is, in fact, Angie. <laughs> you, you sound delightful. I know. Don't I? <laughs> Well, we have a guest here with us today, Lauren, and so we have a super fun topic to discuss. Um, maybe fun's not the right word. I think, um, I mean, it will be fun because it's us, but I think a very important topic to talk about today. But before we dive in, let's do our peaches and pits. Angie, did you want to start? <laughs> Um, yeah, so my pit is that I've been sick since Saturday. Um, thankfully, I was well over Thanksgiving, but this is the best I've sounded um, for a couple of days, which is unfortunate. Um, I'm sure my kids and my husband love it because I'm not doing a lot of talking, but um, my peach is that I have a super, super flexible and understanding boss. Um, and so I'm still able, um, as I've been feeling well enough to work remotely and bow out of meetings, um, and projects as needed. So that's my peach. So I'll start with Pitt because we, although we live in uh, opposite areas of the United States, we have illnesses in our area and my little, my youngest, I have a seven-year-old, a five-year-old and a three-year-old had a bad fever last night. She's mm -hmm. supposed to be at gymnastics right now because she woke up feeling great. And I saw my husband and her walk in just before we started recording because she wasn't feeling well again. So it's great that she's home, but I'm over this season. And I am intentionally having the peach be that uh, by choice that, um, our elf is anticipated to be returning on Friday, our elf on the shelf, as we do, which has been a drain in past years. And I am choosing this year to make it a positive in my, because I do love the the joy that happens in the family. So I'm excited Aww. for Friday, or I'm choosing to be excited for Friday. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that you're choosing to be excited for elf on the shelf. Because it's not always a... <laughs> it's <laughs> not. We don't do elf on the shelf for that reason. My kids have like asked you. in the past and I'm like, nope, I don't have time to do another thing every single night that requires a ridiculous amount of creative energy. So I actually love it. You love, love Elf it. on the Shelf? I love Elf on the Shelf. We don't have like the Santa spy. Our elves just get into shenanigans. Um, and actually this year I have a helper. So Charlotte is old enough to not believe in the elf. And so I have a helper this year, which I'm even more excited about. Oh, that'll be sweet. I feel like Charlotte's going to do a great job. Yeah, I'm super excited. Yeah. Well, I will say my peach, well, my pit this morning is slipping on that ice outside of daycare. And so... I had to call my chiropractor before we started, and I was like, maybe you could fit me in today instead of tomorrow. Um, but my peach is that because we stayed so long talking to the new director at daycare this morning, I took my morning walk a lot later than I normally do. So there's like no wind and like beautiful sunshine, and it was just like a nice like I was actually warm. I had too many layers on, which, you know, for the end of November, I will take. So it was just a nice, nice, nice walk to kind of like settle into my day. So I will say that. Um, so Spitfire shenanigans. So we, so it was Caroline's birthday a couple weeks ago and <laughs> Um, Angie had told me that they were doing, well, I had texted her and was like, we're, we're trying to make holiday plans, but I need to have Caroline's birthday party bookmarked first because that's the priority. We can't schedule, you know, holiday things over Caroline's birthday party. And she was like, oh, it's going to be, you know, on Friday night and we're going to do a slumber party. And then the invite comes out 
and I assumed because it was a pool party, an indoor pool party, <laughs> um, but I didn't see the slumber party on there. I was like, okay, so it must just be Nora spending the night. And so Nora came home homesick the last time she tried to spend a night. So this time around, we had agreed like, oh, we're not going to tell the girls because all the other, all their other little crew, none of them are able to spend the night. So we just didn't want to cause like any drama or like hurt feelings um, about it. But then I failed. And as I was driving over, she did notice her like overnight bag and I caved and I did say like, you're going to spend the night because at the last second I started to think like, if I don't tell her and they just take her home after this pool party, she's been very like clingy lately. And I didn't want to like blindside her and then not, and then have her be like, I don't want to spend the night. Just send me home to my mom. So we like I I take them in and I was I was like look at me in the eyes girls like Nora is the only one you can't you cannot say anything if you blab and you tell the other girls that there's a slumber party there can't be a slumber party because we can't like not everybody is invited and we don't want anybody feeling you know left out or anything like that so we just you have to keep it quiet zip it and like we tried, we tried eye contact and it didn't work. Angie texted me later in the night and she goes, they a hundred percent just told all the girls that they were having a slumber party. Oh no. And so I think Angie put the fear of, fear of God in them when they got back to the house and threatened to send Nora home. There was, there was a lot of, um, groveling, I think, on the girls' end to to walk back that mistake and, and try to keep their slumber party. At the end of the party, Nora, like towards the end of the party, goes, I'm spending the night. And I said, no, you're not. And she looked at me like I had three heads. <laughs> and she goes, where am I going to go? And I was like, you're going home. <laughs> and like, she looked at me like I had just crushed the last alive bit of her tiny little soul. And then we got in the car and I was like, you're spending the night, but only because it's Caroline's birthday. You girls spilled the beans. I'm so mad. But it ended up being fine. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. I think that's probably the first time they've ever been like, um, probably in the doghouse over something that they've done. Definitely, like, were they like actually like I was like actually upset and not just like rolling my eyes upset, right? Right, because that's the usual. So we just roll our eyes. It's usually not that big of a deal. <laughs> Lauren, did you have a funny kid story you wanted to share? What this is reminding me of, and what I've learned from past, I'm still thinking about the holiday season and just how, perhaps for better or for worse, children aren't very good at keeping secrets like we're we're asking them to. But I have just learned the hard way about when we're getting gifts for someone, I have to like not not tell them or what whatever it might be, and it will be seconds, not even minutes after any of them, if we say, oh, we're going to do this. And I might say, oh, just don't mention it to your younger sister yet, right? Because they'll ask about it, whatever it might be. And it is within seconds that they'll say, or they'll start to just whisper really loudly, mom, remember the thing we can't tell. Right. <laughs> so, so, like, right in front of them. Like, no, 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 I don't so, remember that. That's exactly right. And I don't have a very good neutral face, a good poker face. So it doesn't work so well. I guess it's good. I mean, it just, in some respects, I'm like, okay, they're not good at keeping secrets. So perhaps they'll be honest, <laughs> with me, but especially this time of year and year round. Yeah. We'll see. Me. I did take Nora present shopping for her younger sister with me. So we will see. Usually she's also like a 30 to 60 second spoiler once we walk in the door, but she has managed for like three days now to keep it quiet. So she told me she's pretty likely to forget. So I guess I'm really like banking on that (laughs) to get me through. That'll help. (laughs) And the only person to spoil, I guess, is our three-year-old who will definitely forget. So there you go. There you go. We'll see. Um, Partner praise. Angie, do you have anything for Jesse this week? 
I mean, other than just stepping up, because I feel like dog shit is, <laughs> he's been doing most of the corralling of the children and just because I can't talk. So <laughs> it's like hurting cats without a voice is impossible. You need an air horn. <laughs> I've been clapping a lot. My kids now respond to three <laughs> The dogs do too, which is really convenient actually. Everybody comes. <laughs> Everyone comes and then they can self-select out. <laughs> That's fantastic. Lauren, what about you? Well, so anyone that knows um, my family, knows my husband, they know because of our travel schedule that he's actually in his lifetime trying to run a marathon in all 50 states. And that's how we get out to the Midwest and you know, out to different areas. And so what I would just praise and commend, because he did it again this morning, is his, his training runs, his long runs all take place beginning at like 4.30 or 5 a.m. or 5.30 so that he is back in time to help with the morning routine and to help with, with breakfast. And I it's so easy for me to take it for granted because it's just the routine that we have in our house. But I know in talking with friends and colleagues and so many working moms that I work with that that is not common. So I commend him for that. I appreciate it so much. That is, that, that's huge. I'm impressed by 4.30 a.m. runs right alone, in the right? winter time. <laughs> right. okay. And then also just being committed enough to be like, I'm going to do this at an awful hour in the morning just to be back in time to help with the morning routine. That's amazing. Um, I will say my partner praise is that Eric took care of all of our leaves. So we live on an acreage. So there are lots of leaves and it is not generally my favorite thing to have to like tidy them up. Um, but he bought a couple years ago an awesome new mower and now he just mows over all of them and doesn't even require me to like rake them into an area of a yard. And so I appreciate that because I hate raking leaves. <laughs> it seems fun for like a minute and then I get out there and I'm like, oh, I hate this. <laughs> it's a giant pain. So I appreciate that he took care of all of those and that they're done in our yard is all ready to freeze up for winter. It's like I love the foliage. I love it. But I don't and my husband Eli does the the raking too and I'm like, oh, it's the one downside for those beautiful views and the beautiful colors and yes. everything. Agreed. Agreed. All right. So, today I think this is a really nice follow-up episode to the one that we did recently with our friend Sarah Reeves. So Sarah, she works at a large company and we had this great conversation around how you can kind of help your workplace become much friendlier to caregivers and especially those who are in like a mothering role. And so you and your work are like, I think, a nice like kismet extension of, you know, that conversation because women deal with so many emotions and roadblocks going and coming back from maternity leave, which is really kind of, kind of let you introduce what you do. But I'm excited today we're going to be diving in and kind of talking about how we better prepare ourselves, our workplaces, our partners, so that the mental load, you know, isn't, doesn't feel as heavy um, because we also kind of carry it with us, not just from home, but into the workplace. Um, so Lauren, do you want to kind of introduce what you do and kind of your work, and then we can dive in and into this conversation a little bit more. Yeah, sounds great. So thank you again to you both for having me. And the way I describe the work that I do in the broadest sense is that I am a certified coach and I do life coaching and career coaching predominantly for working moms, but coach working dads and coach caregivers in the broadest sense as well. But the way I think about the work that I do, and so many of my working mom clients come to me at all stages of working motherhood journey, could be when they're expecting often their first child, and they're thinking about how life is going to change, how to prepare for maternity leave. It could be coaching during their maternity leave and thinking about that return to work, both personally and professionally, 
And then the extension beyond that in the many years, as we know, with our children being older than the baby stage, it continues the emotions and the challenges and everything personally and professionally. So I love helping working moms at all stages. And I do this work because so 10 years ago, I was certified as a coach in the corporate space. I had worked in the corporate space for nearly two decades up until recently. And I love being a leader. I love coaching others and developing others. When I became a working mom back in 2016, I struggled immensely. And I struggled with my return to work after maternity leave and the weight of the guilt and the stress and the overwhelm that I know we have all felt and that listeners have felt. And I had questions about my professional future as well, right? Like I wanted to continue working and advancing in my career, but I wanted to have boundaries. And sometimes I doubted myself. I had imposter syndrome and all of that. So fast forward to my return to work after my second and then later my third maternity leave. And I started applying the coaching tools that I teach others to myself. And it was a, quite a journey, but to simplify it, I just learned a lot about just how much power we all have as individuals, as women, over what we think and what we feel. We'll talk about a lot of that today as it relates to mental load. And I just firmly believe that it is possible for us to absolutely love our life as a working mom. And there are ways that we can do that. Yeah, I think it's such a necessary conversation. I know Angie and I have talked quite a bit in the past, um, although we we have do, two kind of different experiences. I feel like for me, um, the mental load, it, it definitely existed before I had kids. I just didn't know, you know, like it, it feels so small and, um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say like insignificant to what it is post having kids, you know, kids just seem to like ratchet it up, um, 200 notches. It feels like, um, and I know for me, the mental load felt like it really started like, on maternity leave with my oldest. Um, but Angie kind of had a, a slightly different experience in that she didn't feel like hers really started to pick up until she was coming off of her second maternity leave. And so just – but at the end of the day, I think that's what I hear the most from my friends is that that time is really – maternity leave is when it really starts to pick up and become obvious because we don't do a great job of supporting families as a whole. So we're not giving fathers time off. We're not giving them paid leave. If we are, it's the bare minimum, um, you know, maybe at best a couple of weeks. And so you kind of spend your time at home and you're the one who's learning everything that this kid needs while your partner is, you know, for all intents and purposes, sort of living their normal life as best they can with a newborn, a newborn at home. So I think it's really interesting. And then I had a very similar experience where I kind of went back to work and I didn't really know who I was like as a, as an employee anymore. You know, I felt like I had this, such a strong pull. I, Long-term, I knew I wanted to be back at work because I didn't ever see myself being a stay-at-home mom just from my own personality. I'm too much of a busybody to feel like I could stay at home and, and you know, not kind of be a little bit like off-kilter just for my own personality. But, but in that moment, I also knew at 12 weeks that I, I wasn't ready to be back at work yet. So that it was this very – it was a struggle um, and it was not a really positive experience. Um, so how do you feel like when you think of the term the mental load, where did it where did it start for you and how do you kind of define it in the work that you do with your, your clients? It's so interesting that, that you ask where or when it started because I – perhaps more like your experience. Like I do actually think it, it was there. I just never labeled it that before children. But as I think about life before children, and it was probably in, I guess I would say the college and then definitely post-college when I had my first corporate job, when I was just juggling a lot of things and responsibilities. And so for me, I became a homeowner pretty early on, got pursued my MBA while I was working full-time. And when I think back to those life moments where had to remember what bills to pay, right? Or I had to, you know, I had classes and I had to fit things in. I had a social life and everything else. 
there are skills that, and I was juggling a lot professionally. I, I just tended to be the type of person that would take on an extra task, right? Or raise their hand mm-hmm. sometimes for non-promotable tasks, but I would take on a lot. And so I would be juggling a lot and I somehow did it mentally, right? Mentally and emotionally, but it shifted dramatically. And I think I first heard the term mental load when I was postpartum and when I was really struggling, quite frankly, as as a working mom. And when I think about the definition of mental load, I find that most people, myself included early on, initially thought of mental load from the task perspective. Mm -hmm. So I I immediately think to-do list and just all the things I have to do or I want to do or I need to do or I should do from a guilt perspective. Mm And it often was related to myself, although my, I often put myself last. My It would be my husband, right? It would be my child. It would be work. And so I that task piece, I do think, weighs really heavy on it, heavily on us intellectually. And then there's the emotional piece that I think we just don't talk about, we as a, a society, as often. But the sometimes the heaviest weight that we have are emotions. And it's the emotions oftentimes of worry, right? We worry about our loved ones, our children, our partners. We worry about the future. We worry about our career. We have we we um, have self doubt, or we have uncertainty, or we have the guilt, and the combination of those two things, it can get very heavy. It can be daunting. It can be overwhelming. And it's it's so much why I love podcasts like this, like to just help normalize it. Because when you feel so alone, it feels even heavier. Mm-hmm. And then it's also why I went into the work that I do. I left the corporate space and I coach and teach full time to help working moms work through that load. Yeah, it is. Um, I just totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> I will make yet another note of a timestamp that I need to edit out. Um, yeah, the the idea of kind of like going back to work and kind of realizing that the load isn't just like all of these tasks that you have to do. And I mean, for me, it became like very obvious you got to you kind of have to back into every single thing that you have to do. You know, like I was I was a working mom and I chose to um breastfeed. So then like every day I I used to joke like, "Oh, I'm like this crazy bag lady leaving her house because I had like the diaper bag that had to go to daycare and I had my lunchbox and I had my pump bag and you know, you've got to think of all of the part. You have to make sure they're all there. They're all clean. You've got them ready to go either the night before or that morning. And my husband got up and just left the house like normal every single day. (laughs) Like nothing had changed for him, but I had two or three extra bags that I had to pack just to get through my day now as a mom that I just like I kind of looked at and I was like, well, you've really got like the nice end of this deal. Like you're just leaving without even thinking about this. Like, and if you do do drop off, like I'm probably still going to pack the bag and let you know, like, oh, it's sitting by the door, you know, like, and it just didn't register with me early on, even to say, like to raise my hand and be like, you could pack, like, you know what I need to pump. Like, go get that ready for me, please. Like, can you make yes. sure I've got clean pump parts for tomorrow? It just felt like because it was something I had to do or only I could literally physically do that then like all of the prep and all of the work that went into it only had to be me. And then thinking about like, you know, how does, you know, how is my son feeling and how is my husband, you know, like all of that stuff quickly sort of like became obvious and overwhelming. Yes. Yeah, I think, big, I, big yes. Big nod. Yeah. yeah. I think the emotional piece of it is probably what surprised me most about the mental load where it was, it's this like feeling of dealing with all of the, it's how to coordinate all of these negative emotions that you don't want to feel, but you can't help but feel. Mm-hmm. And um, going back to the pump parts in Caitlin, we actually, so I work for a breastfeeding organization and one of our classes is returning to work. And we have a giant list of things that we're like, 
your partner can be involved in this process. And one of the things is to make sure all of the pump parts are clean and make sure they're all ready to go for the following day because you also need to have an active role in feeding your child. But you have worthless nipples, so let's like figure out other ways for you to help in this scenario. But the emotional piece mm-hmm. of that mental load, I think, for at least me personally, weighs the heaviest on how to manage mm-hmm. all of that chaos that's happening inside, not just mm-hmm. the tasks at hand. Yeah. And it was, I mean, I think the the breastfeeding and the pumping is, is a perfect example. I know there's a lot of them for reasons I don't understand. We have become like very polarized about breastfeeding or bottle feeding and like I, whatever, that's kind of its own topic. But breastfeeding in particular was like a big trigger for me in terms of kind of the mental load just because like with our oldest, we had to supplement. He was just super lazy. And so like we had to supplement with like this special formula after he ate and all of like the appointments that went into that like that was that was me my husband wasn't around to like go to those appointments um you know even trying like my husband's a super heavy sleeper and so like he you know even if i woke him up like we tell this story and we can all laugh about it now but there was a a night you know like i at the in the beginning i would try to kind of wake him up and be like okay well can you like while i get his diaper changed and like get ready to sit down and feed him can you go get the bottle out of the refrigerator get it warmed up whatever whatever and bring it back to me and he was like yeah 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 i can do that and then he rolled over and went right back to sleep and i was like no no like i mean now could you get up now and he got up you know, and I'm feeding Hudson and he comes back to bed and he goes, here's that glass of water you asked for. And then went back to sleep. And I was like, I was like, okay, so like, you're not going to be any help once you've gone to sleep because you're clearly too like disoriented to be in this. But also like going back into the workplace, I remember I was like so irritated and angry with like the setup of like how they supported me coming back into maternity leave or coming back from maternity leave. You know, I got my two 15-minute sessions to pump, but I actually needed a third. Like I didn't, you know, I couldn't keep up. And there just all these things that I was like, okay, so this none of this system is really built to like support me, you know, like as long as I conform to like what the norm is, you're good. But if I need an extra 15 minutes, now all of a sudden we're like negotiating. Do you come in a little bit earlier? Do you stay a little bit later? Is your like, do you do it over your lunch? So like it just wasn't really like a great, (laughs) a great experience. And so I feel like we kind of, but nobody preps us for that going out and nobody like warns us going back about how difficult it's going to be to kind of like manage this and then also manage sort of like everybody is like overnight shift of how they perceive you as like a professional. Everybody is excited for you personally. Like, oh my gosh, that's so great. We're so happy you're starting a family, whatever, whatever. Um, You know, and everybody's got all these questions about how maternity leave went and is your baby sleeping and all of that, but then you go to sit down and do your job like the capable professional you are. And now all of a sudden, Joe Schmo from IT is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Are we sure she knows what she's talking about now? And you're like, yeah, I mean, we we were talking about this three months ago. So yeah, yeah, I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it is so real. So much of what you're sharing, like I think about the uphill battles that that women in general and working moms especially have to go through and navigate. And I, I think about how many books and resources there are to prepare us for for certain parts of childbirth, right? Or, or parenting, maybe. 
and how few resources there are about the examples that that you're raising and how to have certain conversations. So mm -hmm. I didn't think about how to have conversations because my husband and I struggled early on with how we, when we came about to this division of household labor piece, I think neither of us were expecting it. We both came in with um, our own opinions, maybe from childhood or just what we thought, how we thought the other one was going to act or do and realized very quickly that we weren't aligned. And I feel fortunate to have a background in interpersonal communication and conflict management and coaching, right, that I could draw from, but so many people don't. And so many women that I work with, I'm teaching and coaching on how to open conversations, you know, with partners about sharing, just like you were saying, like washing pump pieces or washing bottles or packing things. So there's that piece. And then there's the having the conversations at work, right, professionally. And and having the internal conversation with yourself first about what it is that you want and need. I think we skip that step too often and we you know, are thinking about the return to work, or we're thinking about the childcare, we're thinking about the logistics, and then we get back to work and we have to figure out what it is that we want. You know, Do we just want to do a really good job? Sometimes it's the bare minimum. That's okay. Do we still want to advance our career? Do we maybe want to take a step back? Like All of these options are okay. And how can we figure that out internally and feel equipped to have the conversation? So if Joe from IT is, is questioning us, we know what we're trying to stand for, like what our brand is. And are we asking to still be at the table fully, right? And be considered, or are we asking for a little bit of buffer room? Like, please don't put me on the big assignment yet, right? I'm trying to just figure out what's, you know, how to, how to navigate life as a working mom, right? Like there are two very different paths. And I just think more women need to be equipped. I wish I was early yeah. on with how to have these conversations. How do you, so there's so much in that, that I want to unpack. I think let's start with how you have the conversation with your partner going back to work. Because I think, again, that wasn't something that like I thought of, right? Like before maternity leave, we didn't have to have a conversation about how I about going back to work. There was no like there was nothing there, right? The maybe the biggest responsibility we had was making sure that, you know, whoever left second put the dog in the kennel. And like that, you know, that was that's so basic, you know, that's like 30 seconds of work. And so how do you have that conversation? Before, because I feel like once you go back, for me, it only unraveled after I went back and I was like, oh, whoa, wait a minute. Like, I've got a problem here and I'm pretty irritated that you don't see it. How do you kind of have that conversation ahead of time so that it feels like you are both on the same page going into that experience versus kind of having to do that like conflict resolution? Yeah. So I, I will share from what I've learned from mistakes, right? And and what I can recommend, you know, that we do more broadly. I think one piece is it's an ongoing conversation, right? And so it's for those that are listening that have the opportunity to have the conversation while on maternity leave, just also know that the one of the most powerful things we can do is continue to have it and set that expectation, right? Yeah. With with your partner that that it will continue. I think another piece and use this podcast right as a jumping off board might be I was listening to a conversation right about how difficult it can be to head back to work and there are a lot of couples that that argue or or unexpectedly right find themselves in challenging you know, situations I'd love to avoid that with us so let's talk a little bit about here's how I think it might go right or if you're on a, a second or third maternity leave like here's where I struggled in the past so I do think finding a way very genuinely and lovingly and not accusatory in advance, right? To open up the conversation. I also often guide the reminder that you really want to sit like physically and emotionally on the same side of the table, right? You're a team and you, and finding that shared ground first and foremost. And, and if you really struggle to find the shared ground, I think both people can agree that you don't want to be right fighting all the time, or you definitely don't want tense mornings you don't want passive aggressive behavior. You don't want finger pointing. Like our intent is to, you know, have a happy, loving household or, you know, you as the, um, the woman are not trying to like offload things. You're not accusing, you know, even if you're thinking in your mind, you don't do enough around here, right? Not the best way to, to have the conversation. Instead, it's like, hey, we, we just brought a human into the world, right? We have new responsibilities. I'd love to talk about 
how we can start to split those or share those. And I would often say to my husband, because I realized I don't, and I said this lovingly, like, I actually realized you might not be aware of all of the things that I'm like thinking up here. And that's on, I would say like, that's on me. I've never really shared it with you. I just go and worry all the time or, you know, buy all the birthday gifts or do the things. And so I think just for like the health and, and wellness of our relationship, I'd love to share a little bit about what I'm, what I'm thinking, what's emotionally weighing, tactically what I'm doing. And what I found most helpful was to say to him too, I want to understand the things that you're doing that I might not see. Because that was a pitfall we had early on where I did go in and I was kind of like, I'm doing all this stuff. And he was like, hey, wait a minute. Maybe I'm not doing as much as you, but I'm doing a lot too, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. The leaves, we talked about the leaves earlier, right? Or the thing. And so in order for us to make it less of a competition and a you do this, it was, let's just talk. Let's have an open dialogue about all the things that need to get done. And let's let's um, partner together, honestly, to divide it. Like, what are some things you want to do? You don't. Can we split some things? And then going from there. Yeah. I think that's a great starting point. And I think you could even – I feel like you can kind of even drop back like earlier into the maternity leave experience. Like, it's easy, I think, to kind of have that conversation once you get to the point where like, okay, this is starting to wind down. But – I think about how helpful it would have been if like, you know, I early on after my husband like first went back to work, if I had like spoken up and said like, hey, you know, I'm noticing like, I mean, this is easier said than done because I feel like you're also still like very um, emotionally and physically exhausted. So it's not the easiest conversation to have. Um, But to kind of say like can i can i put these things on your plate to kind of like monitor you know like i am i am kind of constantly thinking about all, everything that i need to be doing to like get you know um our son to eat as much as he needs to eat and that is like that is consuming a lot of my time and i'm really stressed about it whatever could you like these are other things that like need to be taken care of. Like, can you just take those? Um, Because I think what happens when you kind of keep it to yourself is then you get into this cycle, you know, where it's like, okay, I've got this gigantic list and now I feel like I have to delegate or your, your partner is saying to you, well, just ask me for help. Just let me know what I need to do. And you're like, I don't want to tell you like we chose this path together. I want to feel like I have an equal partner and participant, not somebody I just delegate things to and have to explain. Like, I don't want to train you. <laughs> I want you to have your opportunity to learn. So I just need to offload these things. And I feel like earlier on that conversation would be so much more beneficial than like a reactionary conversation. I also feel like as a society, we often don't see maternity leave as work. Our society sees Mm -hmm. it as a vacation, as a recovery place. And yes, while it is recovery, like we are on 24-7 and our husbands or our spouses or our life partners, whomever, are going back to work and their workday is 8 to 10 hours. So I'm also at home working eight to 10 hours, but I'm just like, you know, maintaining life of another human. (laughs) And that is of equal value as you bringing home a paycheck. And so I think changing the mindset of what maternity leave is, is going to be really important and making sure that the, that the pair understand and value each other's roles in that parent returning to work and the parent staying home while they recover from birth or or whatever the situation is, that that work is just as important and just as valued as the person bringing home the paycheck. That was like a big like light bulb, I think, for my husband and our conversations with this was, I'm not sitting at home just watching YouTube all day. Like, I am like, my bottom is split open 
I am also trying to breastfeed and I'm trying to do the laundry because now we have six times more laundry. And so just making sure that that from mm-hmm. a, a value perspective, I think is just really, really important to the conversation. I think that's so well said, Angie. And I, it really just like, if we can continue to emphasize the importance of open communication and ideally when, when we can, when we're not already frustrated and agitated and everything, because I love what you've both shared, which is around, like, we really are on the same team with our partners. And the more we can share some, sometimes they truly don't know. Like if I'm going to give the benefit, complete benefit of the doubt, maybe they really don't know how the time is spent. And maybe they did mistakenly think right, right or wrong, separate conversation, right? That we're just home, you know, watching TV and, and relaxing and, and anything. And it's one thing to, when we're already angry and emotions are high and we're like, I am, you know, here's all the things that I'm doing, right? When I'm at home versus if we can sit down and, and every couple is different, but is it the morning? Is it the evening? You know, is it midday? Can you sneak away out to lunch and say, I'd love to share a little bit about like, how I'm spending my days, or if you've ever noticed when you get home from work that I'm, I've got a short fuse or I'm exhausted, right? Here's why. Like it's, it, you know, here's what's going on in my mind. Here are the things that I'm worried about. And by having this mutual conversation, like I can show up better. Like I can be less short with you. I can be more patient with the you know child. I can mm-hmm. help us find time to spend more time together or whatever it might be. Like there's such a mutual benefit to having the conversation and may have the division of the mental load. It benefits both people, not just you. Mm-hmm. I think the other piece when we talk about mindset is also the willingness for us as moms to be willing to give up some tasks or to have them be done perhaps not to the highest quality <laughs> that we have for the tasks, right? There are just some things we might do better if we did it on our own. And for many women, it's it's an actual effort, an intentional effort to one, decide what we're willing to give up and two, to really manage our mindset and our self-talk if it's not done up to our standard, but it's done. And just having that appreciation for whomever's helping us. It, it could be a partner. It could be anybody else we're delegating or outsourcing to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've talked about this idea of like maternal gatekeeping, which isn't something that I think we talk enough about um, when it comes to the mental load. But it's it's so difficult when, you know, and again, I think that it, it's not anybody's kind of fault per se on how it comes together. It's just how our how our society is structured, you know, by sending the other partner, the dad back to work so soon and not supporting it. You know, you kind of automatically, of course, I'm going to feel territorial about how something gets done when it comes to our kids because I am here for eight to 10 hours by myself for, you know, anywhere between four to four to 10 more weeks on my own. So of course I'm going to have an opinion about this. Like I have figured it out on my own and it's difficult to kind of step back and say like, okay, well you, you go ahead and figure it out and I'm just going to like keep it to myself. It starts out, I think as very well-meaning like, Hey, I, you know, I noticed you know, you can calm him down by doing this, this, or this, but that doesn't necessarily work for dad. That's not, you know, within his comfort zone potentially or whatever. And then after a while, it just becomes an irritant because then you're, then you also do as you're sitting there going through like your second hour of cluster feeding or whatever it is, you do have time to sit there while you can't move and think of everything that you're like, gosh, dang it. Like I'm doing all of this stuff, you know, and then you can like hype yourself, like you kind of hype yourself into that, that spot. So having the managing of your own expectations is very, is very difficult as well. But there's one other thing. So kind of going back to what you're talking about, um, going back to, into the office, you had mentioned, Kind of knowing how you feel about what you want your role to be, which I honestly hadn't even thought of as something that I could think about. Even now, having gone through three kids, I I don't think I would have thought about that going in to say, okay, I've had this major life shift. What does that mean about how I feel to my work professionally? 
And can I have conversations around that? So how do you – is that something that women are aware of when they come to you or is it something that you sort of like help them unpack and maybe they've kind of got like the the seeds of it planted in their head where they're like, I know I'm not happy going back to the way things exactly were, but I, I don't know why. I couldn't tell you why it is. And is it because that relationship has – has changed in terms of how I feel towards my work? It often depends at what stage they've come to me, right? So if they're coming before having the baby or before starting, or maybe even on maternity leave, but especially before having the baby, one step I highly encourage, and anyone can do this, is start to have the the self-reflection with yourself in that moment about what it is that you want and what do you want professionally, you know, for your career and for your life. And we just get to dream and you're writing it down because you're a different person before you have the baby, no matter what number baby it is, right? Then after the baby's in the world and maternity leave, you can do this. I tend to recommend towards the end when you're starting to think back, you know, to about heading back to work and, or once you're back at work, revisit that, but continue to revisit it in pencil because going back to work is a huge shift. And so after becoming a mom or becoming a mom a second or third time over, Sometimes your professional aspirations change and that's okay. That's completely okay. And so I like to have it acknowledged. And so we'll talk about it You know, when I'm working with someone one-on-one. But I also say to keep it in pencil because you might feel very differently on your, you will, right? On your first day back from maternity leave, when you're questioning everything and emotions are high, often hormones are high. And then later as things settle, right? Or it becomes your next normal, then maybe the confidence is back and you're saying, okay, this is what I want. So much like conversations with our spouse should be ongoing, conversations around our professional aspirations can and should be ongoing as well. Mm. So if we're early enough, it's a, what do we think we want before having children? What are, what are our dreams? Revisiting it. And then what I do, especially coaching one-on-one, is then go deeper about what's behind your aspirations or changes perhaps in your aspirations. Because oftentimes moms will come to me and say, I used to want the promotion and there's a part of me that still wants it. And then there's always a, but right. And they might say, but I don't, I just don't think it's possible. Or I just don't have the confidence for this anymore. Or I just don't think my company would allow for it. Right. And there's some limiting beliefs there. There's some insecurities and there are things that we can work through to help you get back to, if that's what you want, right. If you still want to, you wish you had more confidence, you wish you could, could advance. We get there. Or there's the, I used to want to advance in my career, but my priorities have shifted and I no longer want that. And now I'm feeling like, well, what do I do now? (laughs) Right. And then we can go down that path and explore Mm -hmm. it too. And everybody's situation is different. And I always say like our career path is never permanent. Like you go Mm -hmm. up, down, sideways, right. You, You can curl, you can try different things. Like that's the beauty of having a career. But the benefit of often having a career coach and a life coach is that you have a sounding board and you have somebody to listen objectively about when you're getting in your own way or when you're not clear about what it is that you want and you have somebody to help you through it. I think it's to hear you say, you know, like your career path isn't just like this linear, you know, path. It's so different than, you know, I think what we're taught going, you know, you're taught, you, you go to college and you're like, I'm going to graduate and I'm going to get a degree and then I'm going to get this job. And then I'm just going to continue, you know, I'm going to work my way up to the point where, you know, I'm at the salary or the, the title or whatever. Um, and it takes a lot, uh, I, I think it takes just so much work to kind of get to a point where you're comfortable with it, not being that linear journey. And to be able to say like, I'm okay you know, at this point being where I am right now and staying here for a little while or taking a step back and then just having the opportunity to come back. Cause I think we're just always afraid going back into the work that if we don't just pick up exactly where we left off, then there are so many things stacked against us and companies and people sometimes aren't very forgiving about being like, oh, I see you, I see that you scaled back to part time when you had your kids. Like, oh, you must not be very dedicated. <laughs> and then you're sort of stuck, like you're, but you kind of get stuck managing to those fears before you really know 
if that's even something that's like realistically going to be the response to it. Yes. Yes. It's that happens in so many areas of our life too, right? Like we fear how someone might react or what someone might think or what, what might happen. And then we start making decisions in the near term because we're afraid of what might happen. And that's where I always anchor back to like, what is it that you want? Like, what is it that you want? Why do you want that? So that could be the step back in career, right? Staying stable, trying something different, you know, pursuing a promotion. Why is it that you want it? Because our why will drive all of our, our actions. And then do you like your reasons? Some, if, if the reason, if your why is because I'm afraid, right? Or because I don't believe in myself or this, oftentimes we don't like that reason, but it's just the reason that we have, right? And we can work through it. But if our why for wanting to change careers, right, or, or you know, get a promotion, pursue a promotion or take a step back, if it really aligns with our values and our dreams and our aspirations, then quite frankly, it, it doesn't matter. And I mean, in the broadest sense, what anybody else thinks. And if our employer isn't treating us the way that we want, there's so many other options out there. Right. Or if somebody doesn't like that, that we've you know, made a certain decision, um, I think about, um, you know, it could be a boss, it could be a colleague, it could be a, a relative, an in-law, if somebody makes a comment that's really getting at you. I often say, like, let them be wrong about you. Like, if you like what you're doing and you like your reasons, it's your life. Right. We get this one life and that's what we can can pursue. Yeah. I kind of listening to you talk through this and I think I probably I'm I think I'm a little bit biased in that I know you know and are good friends with Melissa who was on our podcast last season who's my mindset coach. So I see so many so many similarities between the things that, you know, she kind of talks about and how you put them into context of like a profession, you know, moving professionally as a mom and kind of in that workplace space. And it's it's so um, shocking to me how much of it comes down to like our mindset and how we think about it, you know, like thinking about and feeling like I it's easy to think I'm not in control because my company dictates so much of my maternity leave, right? How much time I get off is dependent on what their policies are and maybe how long I've worked there, which means that's how much time off I have to use towards, you know, there's so much about transitioning in and out of the space around kids that doesn't feel like it's in your control, and to kind of like put that aside and say like, okay, well, I'm going to focus on what I can. It's, it's, it just like, I don't know, I'm sort of having this like revelation listening to you talk around like, holy cow, a lot of it really is how I'm going to frame it up and how I'm going to like set those boundaries and how I'm going to hold to that and why I'm going to hold to it. Not just saying like, okay, well, I'll just be you know, my employer says I only get two times to pump. Well, I guess that's it then. And it's it's happening to you instead of you kind of like participating in it. Yes. I, if my, if my clients are listening, they've heard me say this so many times, which is there are so many things in the world that we cannot control, right? We can't control the weather outside. We can't control perhaps certain policies, right? That mm-hmm. exist in the workplace. We can't control words that other people say to us and beyond. But the things that we can always control, one is our mindset, right? It's the things that we're thinking. And the things that we think are what cause how we feel. So our thoughts cause our feelings. And so we can always control how we feel about any situation. If it's raining on the day we were supposed to take our child to the zoo, we can't control the rain, but we can, can control how we're going to think about it, right? We, and, and if our partners are acting a certain way, we get to choose how we're going to feel about that, right? How we're going to think. And we control our actions, so we control what we do. So it's our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions are always the three things that we can control, even when anything else in life feels out of control. And so professionally, if something's happening in the workplace that you don't like, well, we get to say, okay, how do you want to think about it? Or how do you want to feel about the fact that there's a policy at work that, that you don't like? And what do you want to do about it? And typically when I ask that question, sometimes it's the, well, I can't do anything, right? Or it's not up to me. But we are always in control of thoughts and feelings and actions. And so I love to, 
very lovingly challenge my clients around limiting beliefs, like things that we think we don't have control over because we do, we control our time. Even if we feel like we don't as working moms, right? Mm -hmm. We control our thoughts. We control our feelings too. Yeah. Is there something so to kind of like put all a, a neat little bow on this, is there something that you guys, you would go back and tell your younger mom working self either going into or coming out of maternity leave like advice you would give that woman let that shit go (laughs) (laughs) I mean I worried so much about shit I couldn't control and it's I I do feel like I've grown as like a human being in that I now realize the value of the energy that I'm spending and I have the option to choose it, choose how I spend that energy and worrying about things that I have no control over in my eyes is just completely wasted energy. And it's energy that I could be putting into the relationship with my husband, the relationship with my kids into creative projects. Mm -hmm. And so I wish that I could have told my younger self to just let that shit go. It doesn't matter. There are things that do matter, of course. I don't want to try to tell people that nothing matters. But there were just so many things that I spent so much time worrying about that I could, I just could have, I wish I had that time back, I guess. And I wish I wouldn't have put so much pressure on myself um, in the mom's keeping up with the Joneses version. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I don't parent the same way as somebody else. And that's not a direct reflection of, I guess it is a direct reflection of me, but it's not, it doesn't make my parenting any less valuable than their parenting. They're just different and respecting those differences and those different life vision boards that we've talked about on this podcast that I'm still convinced we can create a worksheet on (laughs) and coming back to that vision and like their vision doesn't matter because what Jesse and I's vision is, is what matters. And so I wish I just had spent less emotional energy on others than on that emotional energy I could have put into something that would have been more productive to my health and my own relationships. Also, we need to come up with some sort of like snap feature in this podcast because I'm over here. I don't have a video, so you guys can't even see my face, but I'm over here like snapping like a poetry, like a slam poetry (laughs) session. I'm like, yes, 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 yes. But I can't jump in because it hurts. (laughs) So everything you're saying, I'm snapping. I'm snapping. We all make sense. We feel the love. We feel the love and support. Hundred um, percent. All right, I'll take this, and then that way Lauren can have like the last final, final word on it. So I think I would tell my younger self two things. One is that it was perfectly acceptable to speak up and like demand more out of the people around me, not demand in like a rude, like not in a rude way, but to speak up and say like, I see that you're doing a lot of work, but there's more to be done here, you know, and to, and, and at work too, to be able to say, yeah, I I hear what you're telling me, but like the way that you are um like the experience that you are providing to me is not an okay experience. And to be able to say like I I'm going to demand that like you do more to support me as an employee than like just being like, well, I guess that's it. I get, you know, and the second, you know, kind of tangent piece to that would be like if it's not working for me, there are options to change. It's not just how it is. There is there is a different way it can get done. And, and it's totally fine to say like, this doesn't serve me. I need it done a different way. And like, that's not anything, like I don't have to own anybody's opinions on that. 
but my own. It just has to work for, for me and my family. Those are both such powerful. I wish I knew you both when I was <laughs> before I was going on my my first maternity leaves. I'll, I'll offer two pieces of advice. One is to um, pass forward what one of my most incredible bosses shared with me. This was before my second maternity leave, and I had just earned a promotion at work, and I was doubting actually if I should take my full maternity leave. Which in in hindsight, I'm like, why did I even wonder that? But that was very real in the moment. I thought I would seem as loyal at work, right? I would come back to work and be thought less of. And what he said to me is that my leave from work will be the tiniest blip in my overall career. And he said, you will never get that time back, right? He was a dad himself. And he said, take every minute that you want to take of the leave. One, the company's offering it to you. But two, if it's what you want to do, he said, you have my full support. And I carried that with me when I became a leader as well and just supporting my employees. But he was right. <laughs> he was right. In hindsight, anybody considering leave, right? It's just a tiny, um, excuse me, a part of it. The second piece is I would have been just so much more kinder and more patient with myself mm. when I was on on leave, just allowing myself to adjust to that new identity and the new return to work. And I, I wouldn't have gone into this line of work full time of coaching and teaching working moms if I didn't believe that it truly is possible for us to have a successful maternity leave and a return to work. And that my hope is one mom at a time, we can start to really break the stigma around the fact that you don't just have to suffer through working motherhood, that it is possible to learn the skills and learn the strategies to set boundaries, right, to ask for what it is that you want, and to have a life that you love as a working mom. It is possible. We just have to learn. We have to learn how to do it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Lauren, thank you for joining us today. If listeners want to connect with you, where can they find you? The easiest place is my website, which is my first and last name, laurengordon.com, or on Instagram. My handle is working mom coach. And so I'm pretty active on there as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Those will all be linked in the show notes. If you are listening today and this conversation resonated with you, the best way that you can help support us is to like, rate, and review our podcast. It helps us find listeners like you and helps us continue to grow and spread this message. So thank you, Lauren, for being here. And Angie, thank you for powering through with your little, your gigantic cold and your delightfully deep voice today. It's so sexy, isn't it? This is going to be my new podcast. It really is. (laughs) Um, I'll text you the screenshot of your frozen face that I'm using as my picture for you now. You are such a great friend. I love you so much. You just know how to build a girl right up. (laughs) You know it. All right. Thanks, ladies. (laughs) Thanks. Thank you. Hey friends, this show doesn't have paid sponsors, but we do have some wonderful people who support Angie and I, and I can't not take the opportunity to tell you how wonderful they are and about their wonderful work. Let's start with Melissa. Melissa Bloom was a guest on season one, and I've had the privilege of working one-on-one with her, and I am so proud to tell you of her newest offering, Joy School. Doesn't that just make you smile. When we first started working together and I identified that the mental load was taking a heavy toll on me, Melissa really helped me put into words what I was seeking when I said that I wanted to lighten the load a bit. And that was to be more present in my day-to-day life with my kids. Sometimes, especially as busy moms, we get lost in the routines of our families and it feels like time is flying by while we're just on the outside managing moments. Joy School can help you shift out of simply going through the motions of your day and enjoy the small moments of wonder and joy with your family by delivering these delightful videos and words of wisdom that just honestly speak to your soul. What I love about Joy School, aside from the fact that it's hosted by Melissa, is that it doesn't feel overwhelming. The videos are short and they only come once every two weeks. You get these little love notes of support from Melissa and you can choose if it comes to you via text or email. 
It's $11 per month or $99 per year, and you have the option to gift a subscription to a friend. If you've been looking to make a shift as you start the new year, be more present with your family, and take a step toward lightening your mental load, please give Joy School a try. There's a link in the show notes, and I do want you to know that I earn a small affiliate commission if you use the link, but there are a few things that I accept affiliate links for, and I could not be more honored to support Melissa and Joy School. Next, let's talk about Lauren Gordon. She's a season two guest who I was introduced to by Melissa, so it's no wonder that I also love her, her energy, and the work that she does. If you are a working mom who is struggling with any part of your professional life, Lauren is available to be your life and career coach. As a fellow working mom herself, Lauren draws from personal experiences and challenges that she's overcome, and she is a certified coach who has worked with hundreds of working moms and professionals during her nearly two decades in the corporate world, all while running her coaching practice for the past three years. Visit www.laurengordon.com to learn more about how to work with her and follow her on Instagram at working mom coach for tips. You can begin applying to your life today. Everything is linked in the show notes and Lauren was such a delightful guest to have on the show and has such a calming presence about her. So I cannot recommend working with her enough. And now back to the show. (laughs) 